Good morning. My name is Kyle Bobis. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, we're continuing our series on the lives of Elijah and Elisha this morning, and we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 38 to 44 this morning. To kind of bring you up to speed, um, Elisha is one of the major prophets of God, and he's serving in the northern kingdom of Israel during a time of faithfulness, or faithlessness sorry, and rebellion against God. The political structures at the time, the kings um, at this time in the northern kingdom, they've led God's people astray. Uh, They're not following him. They've abandoned him and his word, and they're worshiping and intermingling false gods. Uh, There are about 7,000 people at this point in in the kingdom of Israel who have remained faithful and have not bowed the knee to Baal at this point. Um, Elisha has succeeded his mentor, Elijah, And in chapter 4, which we've looked at over the past several weeks, um, we've seen these series of of miracles performed by Elisha. We see, Todd preached about a a widow in debt that's miraculously provided with oil to pay her debts, and she's given enough by God to continue to live off of it throughout her life. And last week, uh, David preached on an old Shunammite woman who's blessed with a son, and that son dies, and God, through Elisha, raises the son from the dead. And then we're brought to today's text, which after we'll read, you'll understand the confusion that we're going to enter into deeply today. Um, But I I invite you to hear God's word, given for his glory and our good. Um, I'll read from 2 Kings chapter 4. Please follow along with me. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that land. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourd as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there's death in the pot! And they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God twenty loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we need you to meet with us. Uh, We thank you for your word, uh, even though sometimes it is confusing and doesn't make sense to us in our world, uh, but we thank you that it is true that we can trust it, that it's given to us for our good and for your glory, and that you give it to us so that we can see and know you better. Father, meet with us during this time. We beg for your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. I have um, uh, an older brother who still lives about 45 minutes away from where we grew up, which is where his wife's family lives. Um, Now, the whole time that his wife's family has lived in their house, uh, the stairs going down to their basement have always been terrible. Like, I remember as a little kid, um, my brother dated his his wife when they were in high school. I remember going to visit and almost falling several times going down their stairs. 
Um, and they've just kind of been resigned to the fact that these stairs are always going to be terrible because they don't know how to fix them, uh, they can't afford to, and so that's just kind of the reality that they live in. Well, recently, um, my uh, sister-in-law's father was walking down the stairs and fell and really hurt himself. And so my brother and his wife and her sister and, and her husband got together and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to try to fix these stairs. We're going to do our best to, to try to repair them, to try to replace them. And it, if you know me, you know my brother. Like, we're not good with our hands. Like, I can tell you a lot of movie facts, but, like, I can't, like, fix anything for you. Um, and so my brother's pretty similar, and they bit off more than they could chew. But he has a friend who is a teacher who also does some construction on the side, and so they went to ask him, um, hey, can you just kind of talk us through this and kind of look at what we've drawn up and see if this works? And he looked at it and said, well, here, how about this? How about I go with you? We drive out to, to Hammond, and we, I go take some measurements, and then how about I do it for you? Um, and my brother was like, well, that's not why I came and asked you this. Um, I was just asking you to kind of help me through this. And he unexpectedly said, well, what if I just do it for free for you? You just buy the materials and we'll do that. Now, kind of the other thing you need to know is um, my sister-in-law, I'm trying to remember the people, my sister-in-law's parents are not uh, believers in Jesus. They have been kind of hostile to Christianity um, throughout our life, and, uh, and they kind of just don't care about the church and are not interested in it and have been burned by it. And so um, my brother's friend was like, well, this is a great opportunity for us to show what the church in action kind of looks like and to kind of demonstrate the love of Jesus to, to Stacy's family. And so um, they, he, my brother's friend, takes his plans that he's drawn up and he goes to a professional construction worker um, and contractor and says, hey, will you just look at these and make sure that I'm doing this correctly? And he, after hearing the story, goes, well, why don't I just take my crew, my professional construction crew, and why don't I just do this for free for y'all? And so this new, again, unexpected turn of, um, of God's grace in action. Now, you know, we've read this, this, this story here from Second Kings, and there's a connection, I promise. Um, we've read this story, and what we see is that God does unexpected things through unexpected people for unexpected reasons. And that's kind of what we see in that story about my brother that, you know, God is doing unexpected things. These people don't know each other, and they're doing it because they want to show Jesus and his love to these people, and so they're fixing stairs for free and not charging anybody. And so now, instead of having my brother's crappy job, they have a professional construction crew who's done this way faster and way quicker than anyone could have done, all for the sake of providing for these people they don't know to demonstrate the restorative power of Jesus in the world. Um, you know, as we come to our text this morning, we find ourselves like um, my, sister's, uh, my sister-in-law's parents, like those living in the days of Elijah here, living in a world of, of competing realities, a world too much defined by scarcity and death, one where practicality, where skepticism, where brokenness, where famine and hunger and emptiness really seem to rule the day. You know, a place where we've resigned ourselves to the emptiness that we see around us, where we might find ourselves asking the questions like, where are you, God? What are you doing? 
we find ourselves crying out, you don't care about me, you don't care about my situation. And in the midst of all of that, what we see here in this chapter in, in 2 Kings is that God breaks through unexpectedly with his power, with his presence, with his provision, with abundance, with hope and grace in life that, that the claims of what we've seen in chapter 4, the claims of the debt collectors and barrenness and death and famine and hunger are, are ruled to be completely irrelevant by this God. If we, if we stop, we kind of pull out a little bit, and we, we see that the God of the Bible breaks through in our lives, in our, in our circumstances, and he brings life where there's death, and abundance, and peace where there's emptiness. We'll be driven to worship. We'll be dri- driven to give ourselves completely to this one who loves us. So this, this morning, in this kind of wild passage, we're just going to see who this God is. That this is a God that does unexpected things through unexpected people for unexpected reasons. So first, we're going to look at the unexpected things that God does here. Um, Our passage begins in verse 38. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. The setting for these two miracles geared around food is that, that at first glance seem really trivial, if we're honest, and pretty insignificant to us. Um, The setting around these two events is a famine. You know, why does that matter for us? Because for most of us, um, a famine doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Um, many of us uh, have, frequent, have, have often had a pretty unlimited supply to, to food or to water. It's just not a reality that a lot of us have had to face. And so we can just be tempted to kind of gloss over and move on through here. But in the, in the ancient Near East, in this agrarian society, a famine with limited access to crops and water, was the difference between life and death. And then you throw in the context that, that God's covenant people have abandoned him. They've abandoned his word. They've mixed worship with him and other gods. Famine was a sign of God's displeasure because they've turned away from him. They've refused his goodness. They've refused his covenant and their faithfulness to him. To him. So we see that in the midst of this famine, while the majority of people are, are worshiping a fertility god in Baal, that this Baal is no god at all. That the god of, of the Bible, the god of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the true god, and he's the one that's actually in control of nature and history. And then we see what, what's Elijah doing. He's carrying out his calling as a prophet. He's meeting with these other prophets. He's teaching them the word of God, and, we, and that's the setting for these two amazing things that happen that demonstrate the holy restorative power of this God. The first miracle, and in verse 38 to 41, while Elisha and the prophets are meeting, he asks his servant to put on the pot, cook stew for these prophets. One of the, the men goes out, he searched for something edible in this time of famine, and he is, does not have a degree in botany, and so he doesn't know what he's picking. He grabs a bunch of gourds, as many as he can carry, and unbeknownst to him, they're poisonous. And no one else around him knows that. Um, And they cook them, and they begin to eat, and they cry out, Man of God, there's death in the pot. And Elisha, like all good chemists, uh, knows the remedy. It's flour. Right? It's pretty ridiculous. Like, he, he takes a handful of flour, and he throws it in the pot. I mean, if you imagine... You know, there's, there's famine going on. They don't have much to eat, but they have this commodity of flour. So you can imagine the people thinking, 
you've already made this mess, and now you're going to take the one thing that we have that's good, and you're going to throw that in the pot, you're going to waste this too? You know, would you feel comfortable if you went to a restaurant and you realized your food was poisonous and the cook was like, oh, we'll just throw some flour in it, it'll be good. You'd be like, no, thank you, I'm going to go to the hospital. Um, But the prophet of God, who's just demonstrated time and again in this chapter that God is with him, the people trust him, and, and it works. And then, moving on, verse, 40, verse 42, a man from Baal Shalisha, a land named for this false god, he brings Elisha the first fruits of his harvest during this famine as a gift to God. Now, this gift is normally reserved for the priests, but the priests in that area are, are compromised with Baal. And so this man brings this amazing gift to demonstrate his faithfulness and his commitment to God. And Elisha, having rights to just kind of keep this for himself during this famine, he says to his servant, you know, give it to the people to eat. And his servant, if he is, is, is like us, right, he looks at it and goes, I'm a, I'm a realist here, there's not enough food to eat. Uh, how can I set this before a hundred men? You're, you're asking something ridiculous here, Elisha. There's not enough here. And Elisha counters with a word given to him from God. He says, they'll eat and they'll have some leftover. So they gave out the food and they not only ate, but they had an abundance. There was some leftover. You know, these are, these are crazy stories to us. Because we're so far removed from this culture, you know, we don't see things like this today. God doesn't usually work in this way here for us. And so we can be tempted to trivialize and just ignore this passage. But let's just stop for a second and look at what God does. He uses these miracles to continue to first validate Elisha's ministry. He's saying, listen to him. He represents me and my word. Hear his call to follow me. But even more than that, God is demonstrating, I am a God that brings life from death. I'm undoing the effects of the fall here. These miracles are visible pictures of how God's kingdom works. He's restoring what ought to be. There shouldn't be death. There shouldn't be famine and emptiness and hunger. God is showing things that we can't repair and fix can be repaired by him. Baal doesn't have any power here or over us. He's not real. God is saying, I'm the one in control of every aspect of your life, and I'm in the business of undoing the effects of the fall. Is that the God that you follow this morning? He invites you to see him for who he actually is, the one who brings life from death, the one who's committed to wholly restoring his creation and you. He invites you to gaze upon him, upon the real him, not some made-up version that we have of him, and to worship and give ourselves wholly to him. And then he invites you to participate with him in this mission of bringing wholeness in every place that you touch. So we see, first thing, that God does unexpected things here. But he does unexpected things through and, and actually for unexpected people. So you know, we already have seen who receives these miracles. There are some of the prophets of God who are called to minister to God's people, who are called to bring God's word to people, calling them to repent and to turn away from their false gods and worship and serve the one true God. That's their job. It seems, if we're honest, it just seems like a small and insignificant group of people. It's just a hundred people. Um, but what we see here is that God really cares deeply about his word. 
He really cares deeply about his promises and his character, and he cares about his people. So much so that he rescues them and he preserves them. And then, really quickly, I want us to focus for just a second on the man from Baal, Shalisha, in verse 42. We don't know his name. Uh, We just know that he comes from an area named for this false fertility god, a place of evil, a place of infidelity and apostasy. But what we see is that even in Baal, Shalisha, God has preserved a people, or at least a person, for himself. We see it in this man coming to give his gifts, like we said, They're reserved for the priest, but he comes and he gives them to the man of God in Elisha. He had no idea that his faithfulness, this gift here, was going to set the stage for this amazing miracle to provide food for a hundred of God's prophets. It's completely unexpected that this man shows up in the first place. And yet this small gift of the faithfulness of this man is multiplied in miraculous ways to bless and to provide for God's people. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. When I was in college, I flew to Miami uh, for my youth pastor's wedding, which was in West Palm Beach. But I had to get to Fort Lauderdale because that was where all of my friends were flying to, um, which is about 30 miles north of Miami. And so I was in school in Chattanooga, and so I had like a 6 a.m. flight out of Miami. So that meant my friends dropped me off at the airport at like 11 p.m. the night before. And so I'd spent the night in a shine chair, that's where I slept, and I woke up to this man angrily waking me up to get out of his, his chair, and so I arrive in Miami, and I'm exhausted, and I don't have a cell phone, because it's before that, uh, I, those existed, I had a calling card, um, and I realized after about an hour that the person who's supposed to pick me up is not coming. The only person I know is like three hours into the Atlantic Ocean, deep sea fishing. And so I have no way to do anything to get anywhere. And so I had to figure out how to do the transportation system in Miami. And so I get on this bus that takes me to the metro station. Um, and I get to the metro station and I tell the lady, okay, I need, I need one ticket to Fort Lauderdale and get my wallet out. And I swipe my card and my card doesn't work. And I have no cash because I'm an idiot. And, and so I swipe my card again, and it doesn't work. And this lady does not care. She didn't care at all. My plight meant nothing to her. And so she is just like, well, sorry, you have to figure it out. So I'm like trying to plead with her and, and near tears. And then something completely unexpected happens. Um, this homeless man overhears my plight and walks over to me and gives me the $5 that I need to buy the ticket, and, and so I can go to Fort Lauderdale. Um, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't prepared for it, but this unexpected man gave me this tremendous gift so that I wasn't stranded at this station in Miami. Um, I know it's a, it's a ridiculous story, but have you ever experienced anything like this? God using unexpected people in your life to bring healing, to bring encouragement, to bring provision to you. You know, we see these, these private, seemingly insignificant and disconnected miracles here performed by Elisha, but what we see is that God is present with his people. He isn't some distant God that doesn't care. He's active in his, word, in his world, and he's, he's active in the lives of his people. But what we see more importantly than that is that we see that God cares about the insignificant and the mundane. You know, a pot of stew is healed. Some hungry people are fed. Who cares? The answer is God does. 
These are the prophets of God serving and learning in a time where there's only 7,000 people who haven't bowed to Baal. This represents 100 groups of people that could be hearing the word and turning to God. God provides for and preserves his people here. There are no insignificant people in God's economy. Do you ever feel that way? That I don't matter to God. He doesn't care about me. This thing that I'm doing doesn't matter to God. What you need to hear this morning is that God cares immensely. And he uses and he works through the small and unnoticed things to accomplish his purposes. Leslie Newbegin uh, says, you are the vehicle, the way God will heal the community and take the message of the gospel into the world. Francis Schaeffer says, in God's sight, there are no little people in no little places. Every one of you in this room has tremendous value to God. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus, into this world to die on your behalf so that you could be made right with God and made known to him and made whole and loved and forgiven. These miracles are completely unexpected. The people receiving them haven't even asked for them. And yet God showers his grace. He reverses the effects of of the fall, and he unexpectedly provides for and preserves these people to show them and us that the powers that be in this world, that emptiness, the scarcity, the loss that we experience, the famine, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, is not all there is. These other gods, these ones that you've been searching for satisfaction with, the ones that you've been leaning on for life and security and wholeness, they don't cut it. They're not real. They're false. And this God says, I'm the one who is present. I'm the one who provides. I'm the one who reverses the fall. I'm the one who is not constrained by the claims of death and emptiness. I bring life and satisfaction and wholeness. So we see that God does unexpected things through unexpected people. And lastly, we see that he does them for unexpected reasons. This God brings unexpected life and joy and abundance to people who aren't asking for it. So we have to ask why. And the answer is because this God is committed to the purposes, to his purposes, of redeeming and renewing all of life, all of creation. And the reason for that is because he loves us. Here in, in 2 Kings, God is committed to his word going out to having his people hear and receive and live in his grace because he's committed to keeping his promises and his word. He wants to bring wholeness in life. No one expected God to work in this way here, bringing healing to a poisonous stew by adding flour to it, by providing food for a group of a hundred prophets. But this is who this God is. And we see it most fully when we look forward to Jesus. This passage is just a foretaste of what God started in Jesus' ministry and in his life and death and resurrection. We see that another prophet comes in Jesus and he feeds more people. He feeds 5,000 people with less, with five loaves, with two fishes. And this Jesus demonstrates that he is, is God's son, that he's the one that was promised that would come to finally and definitively reverse the effects of the fall, the one that would come to save and provide life to the full for his people. And we see that this God brings forgiveness and freedom and life and wholeness in the most unexpected way possible. We see that Jesus, the one who, 
who never sinned, the one who never failed, who always loved God and his neighbor perfectly, the one who only did that which pleased his father. He was executed as a common criminal in the midst of two other criminals on just a normal Friday. And this Jesus dies. And then in the biggest, most unexpected twist of all of human history, he is raised again on Easter Sunday, defeating sin and death. And he provides life in the most unexpected way for the most unexpected and unworthy people. For us. For people who have rejected him. For people who Paul calls God's enemies. For people who live in a spiritual famine, living lives apart from and in rebellion against God. And this miracle of the bread provided by God's word through Elisha, this miracle of the bread provided by Jesus to the 5,000 is a picture of Jesus broken for us that we're going to celebrate here in a minute. David read earlier from John 6, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This picture from the life of Elisha points us to Jesus and invites us to feast upon the one who satisfies the emptiness and the longings of our heart. In the front of your bulletin, there's a quote by Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, and he says this, When the powerful purpose of God sets down in human life, nothing is normal. Nothing is as it was. Everything is changed. Everything is different. Everything is new. And all the powers of death are feeble and helpless before this determined will for life. That's exactly what happens when Jesus shows up. That it's exactly what happens in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. When God shows up in your life, when Jesus grabs a hold of you, nothing is normal. Everything is new. Everything is changed. Everything is different. The scarcity, the skepticism, the famine the emptiness and the brokenness that is all around us, that is shouting in our face, it does not have the last laugh. It does not have the final word. It's not the end of our story. This God is committed to wholly restoring his world in you. Do you know this one this morning who's in the business of doing unexpected things for unexpected people for unexpected reasons? Please pray with me. Father, we... Thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you love us and care about us, uh, that you do unexpected things, that you bring your grace and mercy and life uh, to us, to unexpected, undeserving people, um, because you love us. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to our time of communion. This table is not the table of our